Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. That is one thing, is to continue to feed that thirst of knowledge, but also deliver and then the other thing is definitely getting over your personal barrier of you're never going to be perfect, right? Just just keep learning, like learn to accept when something goes wrong, you have failed and just keep moving forward. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. LinkedIn presents... Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech from around the world. My name is Catherine Roan, and I have the privilege of guest hosting this episode. And with me today is Looney from Melbourne, Australia. How are you, Looney? Good. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Thank you so much for making the time. And I know that you knocked back a lot of interviews, so really grateful that you're spending time with us today. Before we start, how about you just tell us a little bit about you and what you're up to these days? Yep. So I'm Looney. I co-founded a company called Pari with Sam. Uh, fun fact, the actual company that we registered is actually called Shooting Unicorns. The product name is uh, Pari. <laughs> yeah, there's a long story to that. <laughs> please, please hit me with a story how you could call your company Shooting Unicorns. Well, at first when me and Sam first met, we did this hackathon for Qantas. And then at that time, she was, the company that she wanted to call was Chasing Unicorns. So then I was like, why do you chase them so much work? Just shoot them down. And that's how we came up with like Shooting Unicorns. And it's always fun on the phone when we're talking and people are like, oh, what's your company? It was like Shooting Unicorns. And then people will be like, oh, sorry, I just had a little giggle. <laughs> I love that you were just like, oh, it's too tiring to chase them. Just shoot them down and we'll be fine and we'll grab the unicorns. And we can love that. That's amazing. And so from there, is that when you guys first met, you and Sam? Yeah. So that was when we were working at a consulting company called Odyssey in Melbourne. That was back in 2016. I was still a grad at that time. And she was like, I think her first year into tech or second, I can't remember anymore. Yeah. And so you were both a grad at the consulting. And then did you just have days where you're just like, bro, I've got to do something else. Is this how it all started? Um, like she wasn't a grad. She was already like two years into the tech. I was the grad. And then, yeah, so we, she sat across from me when she came back from um, a client work and I was still on the bench at that time. And so we would just look at each other and be like, should I say hi or should I not say hi? <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, she was the first one to make the move. I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, so you went from an awkward hi then how did you guys kind of really connect and start to think, oh, maybe we can do something together? Um, so we talked about startup when we actually first met, like just at that 
awkward conversation and then we realized how much we went into it because I really wanted to start my own business at that time and she did too so then we're like oh there's this hackathon happening how about we try this and that was the contest one and that's how we all started and then from there every like two three months we just do a second hackathon another hackathon another hackathon just to find an idea that we can like take further what was your initial idea that you wanted to start before Sam came along I had no idea I just wanted a business (laughs) oh okay what what made you want to start a business when I was in uni, I did uh, part-time work at a consulting or software company called Tubules. I'm not too sure if you heard of them. Uh, they did a lot of consulting work for other companies in the US and here as well, like with uh, Sesame Block Party. They they did that. I was on the team that did Beyond Blue. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That app that they did, yeah. And then I saw that oh, it's actually quite fun to build your own company, so I was a bit inspired from that. <laughs> But so you just kept going to hackathons and kept going and kept building? Like, was it the same idea that kept germinating or did you kind of have a different idea every time you went to another hackathon? Oh, it was definitely different ideas. The first one obviously was some group planning thing and we know it's actually not monetizable. One of the, that we won, like people's choice, was a dating app based on your spending habits. <laughs> so we matched it with oh, people. No. <laughs> so if I want someone who will buy me lots of presents... <laughs> then this is the dating app for me. <laughs> well, like if you drink a lot of coffee and then that person drinks a lot of coffee, then we match you. Did that go any further or did you just kind of leave it at the hackathon? Uh, we sort of just left it at the hackathon. Dating app is too hard to do, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. And so that kept going, that kept going. And so just just for context, do you have, so you say you were talking about consulting, but do you have a background in like tech at all or was it just kind of, it just blossomed through you trying trial and error through these hackathons? Um, so I actually studied engineering in uni. So it was computer systems and network, which was like 10 times harder to be, I reckon, because it's more physics side. And then I did an internship at Bosch. Uh, that was around testing the uh, ECS, ABS and all those like braking systems. And then when there was a lot of downtime, I was lucky enough to meet another, meet another student. His name was Howie and he was really into web. So they were like, okay, we have a lot of downtime. Let's just play with something. There was this random barcode scanner in the lab. I was like, okay, let's just build this booking system. So then we learned how to make, uh, you know, talk to the, the barcode scanner via the computer. We did a lot of coding, did some web interface. That's how I got into web, just learning how to code from him. And then, yeah, just learning how to scan stuff and then build a booking system from there. And that's how I got into web, which is where I am now, yeah. I love that when you say on my downtime, I'll just build something. Like it sounds like that's kind of your story. Every time you kind of have a moment to think, you're like, oh, what can I build? What can I do? That's really cool. That's really fun. Is that something that you've always had? Yeah, I cannot sit still, man. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll, like drive myself nuts. When I graduated from uni, there was like three weeks in between where there's like a break and people would be like celebrating. I called in my workplace, like, can I start earlier, man? I'm so bored. And they're like, no, we're moving offices. Yeah. That's only three weeks. Yeah. You couldn't even sit still for three weeks. <sighs> I was so bored. I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, that's cool though. I mean, it's it's cool that you're, it sounds like your brain's always buzzing with ideas. And I love that creativity side of you too, where it's like, oh, there's this come from nothing. Yeah, I'm going to use this barcode scanner and let's see what I can do with it. If it was me, I just look at a barcode scanner and I'm like, how many barcodes of stupid things can I make to scan? <laughs> it's like, oh, a barcode scanner. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'd be like, cool. Okay, so cool. So from there and then, and then that's – then how did you land into consulting then from kind of being a bit more hands-on with the building aspect of it? What led you into the consulting side? Well, to be honest, um, that was because I did also an intern at Telstra. I did a lot of internships. Like I needed to get a job out of this. I was like, let's just beef up my resume. So then I did an internship at Telstra at that point. And then I thought, oh, maybe I could just get a job 
uh, out of grad from that because a lot of people do. But then I actually unfortunately didn't make the cut because my presentation was really bad. That's the feedback I got, <laughs> you know, being an introvert or like you're just really bad at those things. And then I knew some guy who worked at Tubles who went into Odyssey and then I gave that a shot and I just applied and just like fingers crossed at that time and managed to get in. And that's how I got into consulting. But that was also for tech though. So that was for anything coding. You know, yeah, I learned a lot from there on the bench. Also, I couldn't sit still because we're at the bench for like six months doing nothing. So me and Sam just like, there was this glass, big glass room. Um, I think they called it the Innovation Lab. So we're in there 24-7. <laughs> and then they ended up just calling it the, the fish bowl because people just walk by and just look at you. Maybe you should have called it shooting fish. I don't know, shooting unicorn, shooting fish. <laughs> no, because <laughs> we're the fish. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. So true. And so it just sounds like you've always had that knack to tinker to tinker with things and, and just try and build some, you know, things like that. And so with all of these different ideas that had like, were coming out of the hackathon that you and Sam were part of, what kind of then ended up making you land on something like Pori? First of all, can you just clarify for, for everyone listening, what is Pori and what does it do? Um, so Pori is a no-code builder that helps you build internal portals, client portals uh, out of your data. Right now, we just interface with Airtable, which is very similar to Excel spreadsheets. So if you have that data, you connect that to Pori and you can build apps with that. And then your users can actually interact with that kind of data, edit or view or build members directory, for example. So we've got a lot of that happening. So where did that idea come from then? Yeah. So I guess Sam was always into website building. So I think her inspiration came from, I can't remember, uh, DivJoy where they help you build front end and export code, but we wanted to help build for people who do not know how to code. So we've seen that problem at our workplace. At that time, we were at Locals and Medipass, so it's another Australian startup. And then so she was building this uh, tool that helped that marketer at time to build websites. The problem they had was the marketer, whenever they wanted to build something or like have a web page, they had to tap the developer on the shoulder. So then that's where she was like, oh, maybe we can just help them better. And then we discovered Airtables through working at, Mr. Yum. So that's how they started their their initial idea was using Airtables and interface for their menu builders to you know input all the menus. So then we're like, okay, let's just try something. And so we've got inspiration from all those that um, you know. And then we're like, okay, just build that. But at that time, she was building it herself because I was still trying to build a algorithmic trading platform. Which, by the way, I was so out of my realm, so much math. I'm like, I don't even understand what I'm running averages. <laughs> So we were really into stocks at one point because everyone was just talking about it at work. And then we're like, oh, what if we try to automate that and have some like strategies? Because people keep talking about like different strategies to help make money. So then we're like, okay. And then there was a hackathon. No, this was a hackathon idea with MongoDB. So we tried to build that and we actually got made it to the finalists and then they flew us to New York. Oh, that was great. So we spent like three weeks there. And we pitched in front of, at, um, I think it was the Hilton Hotel, in front of like 2,000 people or something. It was great. It was like adrenaline. Everyone was like so calm, like the finalists, they were so calm. And I was like at the back, I was like shaking, and then I ended up psyching out those kids as well. They started shaking when I was shaking to get on stage. For someone who, I mean, you're calling yourself, you know, quite introverted when you were talking about the initial interviews that you had for, for those jobs coming out of uni. Then to go to New York and pitch in front of 2,000 people, how, like, that's crazy. Oh, yeah, I nearly died. I thought I was going to faint on stage. My heart was thumping like crazy. <laughs> Actually, I was scared I was faint before getting on the stage. Oh, man, that's that's unreal. And so what was hard about that trading app? Because it seemed like you, may, you guys had something, right? And that's why they flew you out and investors were listening to you and you were pitching. What 
about that did you find difficult that you're like, I just got to let this one go? It's not even technical. It's more around understanding how people trade. And we really wanted to have something for like retail traders, like you and me, like who just wants to get into it, but not get dive deep into the detail, you know, because investing is something that you should do at a very young age as well. You just keep investing to compound and build your wealth through there. If your money's sitting at a bank, it doesn't do nothing. So we really wanted to work on that aspect. But then we realized also through talking with people, a lot of people don't want to learn or do it themselves. They just want someone to go, just tell me which one and I'll just chuck my money in there. Yeah, so that didn't work out as we thought it would. Yeah. Just a caveat here, not financial advice. Obviously, Looney's personal. personal uh, oh, yeah, definitely your personal. <laughs> my personal belief. <laughs> it's a regret not, I had. Yeah. <laughs> not trying to get everyone to invest early here, oh, just yeah, putting yeah, it yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's, you know, the way that you're describing it is something I resonate with so much because I went through that period too where I was just like, oh, I've got to do something with my life and, and the money that's just sitting there. And when I was younger, it was always like, oh, just leave it in the bank and save it, right? Because that was like my parents' mentality. Just like you got to hoard it and then save it. But then I did nothing with it. And then when I found out that you can invest in stuff, I was like, how do you even do this? You know, people sitting there day trading with candlesticks. I'm like, I can't, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Yeah, that, that's the same with me afterwards. So I, I just tend to do safe stocks too. But then, yeah, I think my mother tried talking me out of it too because she's been watching too much TV dramas where people are like, you know, <laughs> But they're, they're like doing other investing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Do you know what I really like about that story is that you were quite, you were really active in saying no. You know, like you had chased so many things before and obviously they were, you know, through the hackathons and stuff. But this one, you're like, there was external sort of validation that this could be a thing. But you were actually, you had the awareness to go, I just don't think so. You know, I, I can give this one up. You know, even even though in the back of your mind I could only imagine be like, oh, you know, if only we did this and it's going to be huge and that sort of stuff. How was that kind of decision for you when you knew that it could be a thing but you're like, I just, it's not going to be me and it's not going to be a great use of my time? Well, it took quite a bit of time coming to terms with that. It's just not within my realm as well. But, you know, after thinking about it, you've got to do what works best for your time and put your skills and an idea where you truly believe in into something else. Is this the point where you're like, hey, Sam, tap her on the shoulder and be like, yo, I'm available. <laughs> like, is this how it happened? Or tell me how it happened when you jumped over to Pori then. And she keeps telling me to give it up. And I was like, she's like, Lordy, just give it up. Just give it up. I'm like, no, you got to try. Just, like, just come over help me. I'm like, okay, I, I, I give in. <laughs> it's not going to work out. <laughs> okay, fine. She wrangled your yeah. arm and pulled you over. Yeah. <laughs> and so was it just quite natural for you to be like, okay, this, this chapter is, I think it's done. You know, Sam's over there doing something. I could go and help out. Um, yeah, no, I was actively helping-ish over there, not in the coding, but like in the idea and formation. So it was just like we just spread ourselves into do different things and see which one takes off. And obviously, she won. <laughs> How was it in the early days trying to establish this? Especially, you know, the no code is kind of really taking off because there's a lot of people like me and a lot of people like the people you saw at that at the place where um, Sam was working too. Yeah, I think um, the no code space was very new to me at that time. I didn't even know that was a term until we started marketing. And then it started taking off. At that time, I think it was like the rise of the no code when we first started. So I guess um, there was not that much education needed around that. So there was a lot of awareness already. So we were lucky in that respect. Uh, I don't know. I think oh, a lot of the time, I think it's not learning about the space, but really just pushing through the uh, technical difficulties at that time. Because we one month in, we were like, 
man, this is taking too long. We should just launch and see where it takes. Like this is the first time we're like, I just launch. It doesn't matter if it's crappy. doesn't matter if it's buggy. We just launch and see if the, it would like have an uptake, like to see what the, the feeling of what people would say. So then we launched on Product Hunt. It was so bad at that time. Other stories for later maybe. But yeah, then we launched on it and then the, the response was really good. I was like, we, I think we came like fifth on Product Hunt or fourth. So we're just like monitoring the stats and I was like, oh crap, we, it was actually people were very supportive. The community is really supportive, even though it was really buggy. And, and yeah, so at that time we launched a free product and then, yeah, it started taking off from there. And then we were like, okay, let's just start charging. <laughs> and then we put in Stripe and all that. And then we waited for a week. We we're like, oh, we have no customers. Is this, is, is this payment broken? <laughs> so then we subscribed. <laughs> we're like, oh no, it's broken. It's not broken. We just have no customers. <laughs> I love I love it. The default is, oh, did we connect Stripe properly, or did we, you know, screw something up in the back end? How was it? Because we always get told, right? You know, it's always about messy progress. It's like you don't wait for something to be perfect before you launch it. And by the sounds of it, that's what you really did. You were just like, we don't think it's fully formed yet, but let's just throw it out there and see if anyone's going to, you know, the audience is going to buy it. How does it feel launching something where you're like, eh? You know, it's not perfect. It's not fully formed. Like, what is that like? Well, it's crazy nervous, to be honest, because we're like sort of perfectionists. That was the first time we actually tried to launch something. Because we're at the point where we're just so sick of like just building and not launching at all. So then we're like, just just go for it. So that was actually a quite a good lesson for us. It's like, there's never perfect. It's never perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But you need to learn how to deal with that consequence when anything or like stuff happens. So I think that takes a bit of a learning and mental strength to to get through that kind of barrier. So then I guess what helped was we sort of set some little check goals, like checklist to to see what we want to launch and go, okay, we know it's not perfect, but at least we tick those boxes. So then we, we use that kind of um, method now when we do launches. It's just have this checklist. We know it's not going to be perfect, but here it is. Just launch it and see how it goes. Because if you keep forever building, I reckon you sort of lose – sight of what the customers or the end users want because you only build according to you right but you don't know what others want so when we first launched Pari, we had this initial idea that people would use it for marketing just build lists and share lists around but as people more and more people come in they tell us this is what they actually use Airtable for and then that's their problem we're like oh and we start building towards that so Pari actually formed from one thing into another but we wouldn't have done that if we just kept building right and there would just be something completely different so what did Pori start off as then? As you said, marketing lists, is that what you're saying? Yeah, just like a one-page builder, one page that people can just connect their table and share lists of like things. So, for example, uh, someone who's in real estate would just share a list of uh, real estate properties or, uh, I don't know, freebies, those kind of things, or like coupons for startups. Yeah, that's what we initially thought it would be. And then people can just integrate AdSense into it so they can make money through ads. That was the original idea, but then it really evolved from there. Talk to me about that sort of shift in what you were building. Yep. So initially we thought we, people were just going to be sharing like this stuff data around, but then like we got more and more people coming in, like especially from VCs. Surprising, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I didn't know there were so many VCs out there until we built Pari. So they initially wanted to embed Pari into their existing sites so that's a lot of a big source of income from there. And then we saw what they were building. So we we're like, hey, uh, we can build this for you. Why don't you try use Pori if we did? So then they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
And then so we started moving towards that. So then more and more VCs came and they were actually all building nearly the same thing. So we're like, oh, maybe we can take this a bit further. Obviously, we're still like on the process of getting there, but it's like pretty good responses from what we already have. So we just kept talking to people. And then like used, back then I used to dread calls as well. Like, oh, my God. I was like, <laughs> I get so nervous. I was like dreading. Like, oh, how do I cancel this? <laughs> I don't know. I think, <laughs> how sick can I get just like five minutes before? Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, um, afterwards, I, got, I found it jo- enjoyable talking to customers because, you know, you get something out of it. So they tell you what they want, what you're lacking. And, yeah, and then you're like, oh, shit, we can do this. And then we, we sell it to them again and we're like, oh, we built this, we released this, would you want to try it out and just keep going, going, going. So just looking at what they do, asking them if they can share what they're building to us or what they're embedding our thing into their existing site. And they just keep talking. And, I, and then I found it really enjoyable listening to the problems and what they think Pari can take them as well. Still a long way to go though, but yeah. And how open were your customers to really let you in on what it is they were doing? A lot of them are actually surprisingly very open. So open to the point that we share their passwords to your, their account. <laughs> uh, like, are you supposed to do that? I don't think you're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very open. Like you have to be willing to take the first step to ask them and they're very willing to share because then you're helping them out as well. Yeah. And that's a testament to you and Sam though, for someone to be able to go, hey, I trust you enough to give you the keys to my kingdom for my website. Can you just go do your thing? I think that's really cool from going from someone who wants to cancel you know, <laughs> your customer calls to a customer going, actually, no, I trust you with this. Can you go and help me? Because I believe in you. So I think that's a really cool I don't know. That's just a really cool thing that you've been able to build. However, you've done that, um, and kudos to both of you for for doing that. And so they became really open, and you guys just were listening. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to constantly listen because I mean, you should have your own idea or theory, so like a hypothesis, and you get tested out by talking to people and then building as fast as possible, like just the bare minimum. Like, don't, yeah, this is this where perfection doesn't work in this kind of scenario sometimes like don't take my word for it this is our experience like not no tips <laughs> not a tip <laughs> just an experience <laughs> yeah it's just to build quickly just build it to a bare minimum because well we're very grateful or thankful that we both are devs so we can quickly just build and test it out if not then scrap it so we, we actually scrapped a lot of our features and whatnot or evolved some others what's it like making the decision to leave something on the cutting room floor you know, like, because, you know, as founders, you're just like, this is the best. No, this is the best. No, we have to keep everything. And sometimes it's about you have to prune, right, and to actually make your product work in the way that you want it to work or for the people that you want it to work for. Like, how do you guys go about making decisions on just going, you know, we did it, we spent all this time on it, but it's got to go? Well, we definitely look at the usage of it first. So it's everything's around how people use it and look at how many people use it. And then we just really base our decisions on that. It's like, well, is it really useful? Like efforts versus benefits. Is that really the thing that brings in the income? Or does it help solve that actual real problem that other people are having? So based on talking to other people, we'll be like, hey, this is it. Can you try it out? And they'll be like, oh, no, it's not very useful for me. Then we're like, okay, just prune it. So I guess the the one thing is to not get attached to any of uh, your features. <laughs> That's what I was going <laughs> to say. Do not grow too attached. <laughs> yeah, because most of us, it's it's our baby, right? Yeah. Our startups yeah. are our baby. And so you've got an attachment for every piece that you create. And, and for you to let it go, it's just kind of like, I don't know, leaving your baby behind or something, you know, like that feeling. 
But I like how you guys have got such a systematic way to make that decision so that there's no emotion involved per se that will affect, you know, you're like, actually, I'm, we're here to help. Is this helpful? If yes, let's move forward. Yeah. Mm, sort of. I mean, we're not attached <laughs> to the features, but the emotion comes from us fighting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that we don't get to see, right? It's behind the scenes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> all behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, definitely there'll be emotion. Definitely anger. <laughs> But, yeah, we talk it out. It sounds like you've had a lot of fun but also a lot of challenges along the way. Talk to me about some of those challenges that you faced and how you overcame them. Yeah, I think a lot of the times one would be, like, obviously technical because you absolutely do not know everything. Like, I'm just constantly learning every day, discovering new tools and trying to, like, do new things. I think the, the biggest challenge is balancing what you want to learn and what you want to deliver and achieve because you don't want your code base also to be very outdated by the time you release something. You want to keep up with the tech because that's how you make your, well, for me personally, is to make it more stable and always forward. So then you got to learn to balance that, okay, what do I want to put in this, try this new thing, want to learn this new thing, I want to, and release this feature at the same time. That's, yeah, that, that is one thing is to continue to feed that thirst of knowledge but also deliver. And then the other thing is um, definitely getting over your personal barrier of you're never going to be perfect, right? Just just keep learning. Like learn to accept that you when something goes wrong, you have failed and just keep moving forward. And there's this other mindset of like, oh, something went wrong. Oh, crap, I'm bad. And then start blaming other people. Or you go, okay, I failed. How do I move from here? You know, where do I pick myself up and just just be better. I think it's easier said than done, but once you go through that, you got to learn to accept that you will fail. So that would help push you forward because then you'll just go, I fail, I get up and I'll just be a better person tomorrow. I think that's a bigger part of the personal journey going through this. I mean, tech, yeah, there'll always be that kind of barrier, but I think that might be easier to solve than your interpersonal, like what you're, who you are. I love that. And for you, is there a specific part of you that you feel that in your personal growth that you've really gr- had to grow into? I think one thing, and it's the biggest I reckon, is the lacking confidence in myself. I'll always be like very jealous of people who are very, very confident. What they have is one is confidence, but really they're not scared to, as I said, make the mistakes. They would speak up and then trust that the other people would help them overcome those mistakes. So that is for me as well, like why I'm very quiet and not willing to talk to people is because I'm very anxious about saying the wrong thing. And then when I look at people, like, how could they say that? Like, man, if it was for me, I wouldn't. Wouldn't that person be offended? But at the end of the day, if you're more sensible than people would <laughs> say sensible things, then I guess people will understand and, like, let things go. So and one thing is, like, they're not afraid of making mistakes because they know as you said, you just people don't care. Only you would give yourself a lot of crap for it, but people would help you through it. So, I think that's my biggest growth is, and it comes on to Pari as well, building stuff or you know making features that people don't want. You just got to go out. I think that's the biggest growth for me is accepting that you'll just make mistakes. Right, just just make them. I think a lot. Of, I learn a lot of that from sports as well. It's like learning to lose and see where you are. Where do you lack? And look inside, just look inside and say, okay, I want to do this. If I fail, how do I get around it? 
as opposed to just silently hating everyone and crying in the corner, being envious of people. It's like, it's like oh, we're watching this person be like, oh, man, yeah, he's doing this. He's made that mistake. But then this is what he did to rectify it. And people, it's like, if I don't care about that person making a mistake, I'm pretty sure these people won't if I did the same thing. It just comes from within. And then you just keep going. I mean, I still get nervous. Like, I'm anxious right now. My heart is thumping very hard talking to you, but you can't tell. You can't tell. I mean, you're just, you know, the way that you're talking. And no, I, I honestly, I couldn't tell. I was like, oh, she must be really comfortable in this one. Yeah, good one, good one. <laughs> Thank you for showing up, though, even even though that you, you're having those feelings, even whilst we're having this conversation and reflecting on, on the experiences that you've had. I can really hear that that common theme that you're saying, even though it's in sports, it's important, and and all of the other previous sort of ideas that you've had in those hackathons is you stayed true to that. The fact that, I don't know, I don't know everything. I don't have to know everything. Something's going to go wrong, but how do I pick myself up and move forward? Yes. Oh, so many things has gone on in Pori. <laughs> there was one time we launched something and then it went, Pori just went down and people messaging us. It's like, is Pori down, Pori down? And because we didn't check our emails at that point, so it was down for one hour. <laughs> yeah oh that was funny obviously sorry sorry to our customers but it was a good experience it's funny afterwards <laughs> it's always funny afterwards it's always funny afterwards oh awesome look i've had so much fun i've just got a few final questions for you really quick fire so whatever comes to the to the top of your brain just spit it out all good favorite book the professor and the housekeeper it's a japanese literature book yeah it's just um about a professor a math professor and his housekeeper and her son and how they bond over maths very simple, but very good. I really recommend. Who bonds over maths? <laughs> this is the first I question. love maths. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so bad at it, but I love it. <laughs> oh, look, you can, you know, we can always get better at these things, eh? A favourite podcast? Lady Startup. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Used to listen to it so much. Best resource for tech? Oh, Medium. People write a lot of articles on that. So if you Google anything, Medium will come up. So I go in there and I read articles because people share their opinions as well. I mean, sometimes it's opinionated, but you take in whatever you can and form your own opinions. Yeah, Medium is good. What can our community do to support you? Definitely hop out on pario.io and check it out and definitely give us feedback. Don't have to sign up. <laughs> Don't have to pay for it. Yeah. And it's just definitely spread the word if you find it useful or not useful in it at the end of the day. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, in the Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more incredible women from around the world in tech, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And, of course, say hello to us on the socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Look, Looney, thank you so much for making the time and to, to share what a, such a fun story with us. Um, really appreciate you. And to everyone else, thank you for tuning in. Um, And until next time, stay safe, be red. Bye. Hi, this is Looney Dang. I am the co-founder of Pori. We help you build apps visually powered by your data. Right now it is with Airtable. I'm based in Melbourne and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. 
Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.